Thank you for joining us once again for Kingdom Rock Radio. Now here's a sample of today's broadcast. What have we put in place of our first love? The one who loved you so much that he dared to wrap himself up in flesh just to hold you. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich word of God. Well, as you know, we have been in a series for quite a while now. The major series has been entitled, God's People Need Deliverance. And we've been looking at grace and the law and, and really looking at uh, what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And it, it is magnificent. And tonight we're going to continue in that same flow. So let's turn our attention to the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. And we're going to start in verses 4 through 9. And as always, while we're in Bible study, it's good for you to bring your own Bible. Bring something to take notes with in the pen or pad and jot these scriptures down so that you can go home and review them at a later time. I know they will be uh, enriching to you and encouraging to you. And for those of you that are joining us by way of CD, just listen along and, and hear what the Lord has to say to you. In Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 4 through 9, I'm going to read this to you out of the uh, King James Version. And it says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Tonight we'll speak from the subject of saved by grace. Now this is so thrilling. We're going to go a lot of places tonight in a short time that we have. So I pray you have a little time. You notice here in verse number four, it says, but God who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he showed, wherewith he loved us. The Father, God, is rich in mercy. Oh, we thank the Lord for that. He's rich in mercy. Somebody needs to know that. Somebody's really going through some things and really done some bad in their lives. And they're looking to God for mercy. The Father says, I'm rich in it. I have a lot of mercy. And he wants to share that with us. Isn't that wonderful? Now look at verse number, uh, look at verse number uh, seven, and it says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, that means after we are long gone from this earth, and we're in the Father's presence, in the hereafter, 
the Father is still going to be showing us his grace and his kindness. It forever extends for him. Through ages to come, he's still going to be showing us how gracious and how kind he is and how loving he is. New dispensations of grace and love and kindness will be poured out over us, washing over us through the ages to come. Isn't that wonderful? We just don't know the depths to his love and grace. This is so wonderful. Now, let's go to the book of John, the eighth chapter. We just want to start off with that, but we're going to go to John 8. This is our major text for tonight. This is wonderful because it shows a good, a very good uh, picture of the grace of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the word of God that was made flesh. He is God. And he is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten son of God. Now, in John, the eighth chapter, let me read just a little bit, verses 1 through 11. Because we're going to see a wonderful picture of the divine mercy and grace of God and how it relates to us. And we can even really subtitle this Jesus and the sinner. Let's look and see how Jesus relates to the sinner here. The Bible says in verse uh, number one, Jesus went uh, into, went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. We see a picture of the Lord Jesus there in the temple sitting and teaching which is what I'm going to do. Amen. Verse number three. And it said, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, in the midst though, uh, they saw they say unto him, master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Let's stop right there for a moment. Let's catch the scenario. Let's get a, a good picture. The Lord Jesus is minding his own business. He's on a commission from the Father, and he is teaching about the grace of God, teaching about the mercy of God, teaching the kingdom of God in the synagogue, in the church house, right? He has the floor. Uh, He's sitting, and the people are all around him, and they're really interested to hear what Jesus has to say. He has their attention. And then here comes some party crashers coming in, the Pharisees and Sadducees. They've designed a trap to spring on Jesus. And so they get a woman uh, that was caught in the very act of adultery. They find some woman that was in the bed with a man uh, having sexual relations, and it was not her husband, and they pull her out of the bed. Now, oddly enough, they knew exactly where to find her at that time. So there may have been a trap set uh, trap set, lured in, all right. But they didn't bring the man because maybe he was one of their little buddies or something. So they took the woman, brought her in. We can see her. She may be wrapped up in a blanket or something. And and they brought her inside the church. Can you imagine somebody even today in the modern day church, you are the pastor's up bringing forth the word and here comes some religious people that brings Uh, someone that you know, or let's make it personal, brings you right in the front of the church. You're naked. You just been brought from somewhere doing wrong. And it looks like you've been doing something wrong. And all eyes of the entire church are now on you. Now, 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees are masters at bringing shame and guilt. Masters at it. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. All eyes are on them. Oh, my God. I didn't know she would like that. Did you? No, I didn't. Did you? No, I didn't. And there she is. She's in the midst of all of them, embarrassed and ashamed, guilty. Her shame, her sin has now been revealed for the entire community. What was hidden and between her and Roger. Are you with me? Has now been revealed to everybody. What was done in dark has now been brought to light. And they bring her in, not for her sake. They could care less about her. They're trying to entrap Jesus. But she's caught in the crossfire. Verse number five, they said, well, let's go to verse four again. It says, and they, rather, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Verse five, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what says thou? What do you say? Now, we, here's another character coming into the story. Uh, we see the elements. I want to see different elements. We see the element of sin, and now we see law. They bring law into focus. There is sin, and there is law, and it says the law says that she should be stoned. So we see sin, law, and judgment. Say with me, sin, law, and judgment. We see those three elements there, all brought up by the Pharisees and Sadducees who were uh, supposed experts of the law. This is what Moses said. This is what God said that should happen. We have sin, we have law, and there is judgment. So what do you say, Jesus? In verse number six, it says, this they said, tempting him, that he might have to accuse them, that, that rather they might have to accuse him. Meaning, all right, Jesus, we, we've been working this thing, this plan out in the back. We already know. You only got two ways out of this, buddy, and we want to get you, Jesus. Number one, if you tell us, uh, don't kill her, don't stone her, then we will accuse you of breaking the law of Moses and you going down. Uh, two, if you, if you say, uh, stone a stoner, then the people are going to get confused because you just been teaching them about grace and mercy and the love of God. So, Jesus, we got you either way, buddy. So this they concocted right down there in the halls of hell to bring Jesus in, to accuse him, to put him to death because they couldn't stand him. So what is Jesus going to do? Verse 6 says, uh, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stopped, or rather, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not so when they continued saying right continued asking him he lifted up himself and said we'll stop right there for a moment they're coming at him with accusations of law now this is a very strong picture here jesus stoops down and with his finger the bible is very specific now i love scripture very specific, with his finger, he begins to write. 
Oh, here's a picture unfolding here. With his finger, he begins to write. Now, most Bible um, theologians say that uh, what he's writing on is not actually dirt, uh, but the floor of the synagogue was made of stone, as a, uh, was a stony uh, flooring. So if that be true, then he's actually writing with his finger. He's writing on stone. In any case, he's using his finger to write. So we see some elements here happening. We see law, we see sin, law, and judgment. Now we see finger and writing possibly on stone. What does that take us? Well, that takes us to the book of Exodus. As we see a picture here of God writing with his finger on stone, giving law. Oh, this is thrilling. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, now you can make a note of this, Exodus 20, uh, verses number 18 through 23. Oh, let's go ahead and get that. That, that is awesome. I want you to see this. Exodus, Exodus, the 20th chapter, that's right. Uh, verse 18 through 23. We're going to see something here. This is thrilling. Now, the people, remember the Pharisees and Sadducees were quoting law. This is what the law said. There is sin, and this is what the law says, and here's judgment. The judgment is stoning. There's death. There is sin, law, death. Sin, law, death. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say, God, in the flesh? What do you say? Are you with me? So, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, verses, uh, we see here, uh, this is when the Father is actually speaking from heaven. He, uh, the people, the children of Israel are, are around now Mount Sinai, and they've come from the land of Egypt, and they're there. And God himself is speaking, and he is uttering out what we know as the Ten Commandments. Verse number one, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he goes all the way down. Here is God himself now speaking without a microphone, without a megaphone. He don't need it. He is speaking. He has come down. Uh, with thunders and lightnings, and he's speaking to the people. He's on top of the mountain. Uh, he's, uh, uh, he really uh, represented himself in, in a cloud, you know. He's showing the people how great he is. He could, you know, show himself in any way. Uh, but he's doing that, and he's speaking to them. And in verse number 18, this is the people's reaction. And all the people saw the, all the, people saw the, the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the, of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the, uh, the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Oh, God, you're, oh, oh, oh. They couldn't stand in his presence. Now, what did they do? Verse 19, it said, And they said unto Moses, Speak thou, unto, speak thou with us, and, uh, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. 
Here is when the people reject a personal relationship with God. They say, Moses, you have a relationship with him. We'll hear you and we'll stand off over here. We can't, we can't have that relationship with the Lord. You, uh, it's too powerful. It's too much. You do it. And this is how actually it has gone through the generations. How the people in church still today say, well, pastor, as long as you pray, as long as you fast, as long as you study, I don't really have to know him myself. I'll just come. I'll just come. You have the relationship with him. You say it and we'll hear you. But the time has come for us to hear from him directly. Hallelujah. And we'll see a lot of this as we talked about in John 8 chapter. We'll see the Lord Jesus making a turn, letting people see the true nature of the father. Hallelujah. Now, in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, after the father has has spoken those words to them, uh, he decides in his great and infinite wisdom to write these down. And he uses it with his finger in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, Exodus 20. Of course, he verbally uh, mentioned to the people, told the people, but Exodus 32, he's actually calling Moses up there and he's actually writing, uh, writing them down with his finger on stone tablets. Well, after he does that, he tells Moses in um, Exodus 30, 32, verse 7, we can start there. And the Lord said unto Moses, go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. You see this? First, he said he brought the people out. He's remembering Ten Commandments said, I'm the Lord thy God that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Now he's saying, Moses, you the ones that you brought out of the land of Egypt. There's sin on them now, and God cannot identify with sin. I pray you're hearing me. There's always a separation. When there is sin, there is separation. Unless there is a mediator, one to stand between, to make up the gap, to make up the hedge. Hallelujah. So there is a separation here because of the sin that the people were doing. And he says, most of the people you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a golden calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed unto it and said, now here's the kicker here, and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Talk about a slap, pow, right in the father's face. They made themselves their own gods and said, these have brought us up. Now, how does the father react to that? There is sin, obviously. The Lord has already spoken the law, so there must be some kind of judgment that's about to happen. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our mediator. And we'll see here, actually, in the, in the Old Testament, Moses typified the Christ. He was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. So there was sin. God had already given the law. So there must now be judgment. There must now be judgment. All right. In verse number nine, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. They just won't listen to me. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. Who's he talking to? Moses. Let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them 
And I will make of thee a great nation. What an opportunity, Moses. God's going to give you a wife and y'all, or you already had a wife and you're going to have a lot of children. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. What a great opportunity. If Moses was a prideful man, I believe he would have taken that. But the father knew what man Moses would be. He knew, that's one reason he called him, he knew that Moses would be that advocate, that intercessor, that mediator, the one who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. It was the father's perfect will and desire not to kill people. Remember, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The father is love and he loves humanity. Hallelujah. He's not setting them up for destruction. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, so it was the father's heart not to destroy. Hallelujah. But Moses here, of course, stood in the gap and Moses brought, uh, and Moses besought the Lord. He's interceding, verse number 11. And Moses besought the Lord God and said, Lord, why doest um, uh, thy wrath wax uh, hot against thy people? Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. So now he's interceding. He's in prayer. He's interceding for the people. And at the very bottom of that, verse 14, it says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do uh, unto the people. Now, it repented, meaning God changed his mind. But don't you know when God's mind is set, his mind is set. Destruction is not what he really wanted to do. He wanted the people to live, but he wanted somebody, he needed somebody to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Hallelujah. Moses was there and he fulfilled the, he fulfilled the will of God and the people were saved. Glory to God because there was a mediator. So what happens next? Moses goes down the mountain. Oh, got to move. Moses goes down the mountain, sees the people partying, dancing, naked and carrying on down there. He holds the Ten Commandments up. Y'all ain't worthy with this. You, you know, some of y'all seen the movie. Praise the Lord. Just read the rest of the book. Amen. <clears throat> Moses takes it. Moses takes Ten Commandments that the Lord had written with his finger, throws them down. Let's actually see that in verse number 19. And it says, And it came to pass as soon as uh, he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tablets out uh, of his hands and break them uh, beneath the mount. <clears throat> now, this was actually uh, this was actually part of God's mercy. Moses was carrying the word. He was carrying the law. If that law, that written law had come in contact with the sin, they all would have died. So it must by needs be destroyed, boom, right here so that the people could live. Oh, praise the Lord. It was a demonstration of the father's mercy on behalf of the people. Remember, the father is rich in mercy and he's always been rich in mercy. Hallelujah. Remember, Jonah said, and he said, uh, when he was going to Tarsus, he said to the father, I knew you. I knew that if the, if I came over and spoke your word, that those people would, would repent. And I didn't want to, I didn't want them to repent. I wanted you to kill them all. So that's why I didn't go. That's why I fled the other way. Cause I wanted you to kill them because they deserved to be killed. Jonah said, I knew you. That you're merciful and you're loving. If they repent, that you return from it. I knew you, so I've tried to flee. Are you with me? Tell me the Father is merciful. 
Now, I'm telling you, he always has been. Hallelujah. But if there's not been a media, there's not been one to stand between, then judgment will come. All right. So we see here that Ten Commandments broken. Now, I've got to move quickly. Ten Commandments are broken. And uh, it came to pass later on, the father called Moses back up another 40 days. And uh, he told Moses to hew out or carve out more stone. And the Lord took his finger again and he wrote upon the stone and and presented it. Moses finally able to do that, bring it before the people. Now what happens to the law? Where the law goes into what's known as the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's placed in the Ark of the Covenant uh, for safekeeping. Uh, But... It's placed in the ark, and then there the ark has a cover on it, uh, and that's called the mercy seat. Uh, On the mercy seat that covers the ark, that's where the blood of sacrifice is applied. Hallelujah. The blood of sacrifice is applied. It is the mercy seat that is higher than the law. What is it? Am I getting that? The mercy seat sits higher than the law. The law is inside the box. The law that the laws that were broken sits in the box. The law that man broke sits in the box. Hallelujah. And the mercy of God covers it. It is the mercy of God that covers the law. Hallelujah. And so we see here that whenever the father now looks upon and we know the Lord Jesus Christ is right now sitting on the mercy seat. He is the lamb. It is his blood that is now sprinkled on that mercy seat. And the father can see, he can see through your heart. He can see through everything. But one thing he will not look through is the blood of his son going to the law. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It is the blood of Jesus now that covers the law. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Mm, 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 mm. And so the blood now covers covers the mercy seat and the cover of course it covers the the law you cannot see the law because of the blood that is there and because of that we can go before the father's presence and enjoy him amen so in going back now to um john the eighth chapter john eight we're going to go right back there but let me show you another good example uh of this and you can write this down before we go back to john eight in 1 Samuel, the 6th chapter, 1 Samuel 6 and verse 19. You can write that down. Uh, this is when the ark had been captured and uh, people have it here in, uh, in, in a town called Beth Shemesh. And in Beth Shemesh, uh, there were some men about, uh, the Bible says really about 70, but theologians say that, that, that 70 can be translated to 50,000 or so. And uh, the men, let me read the verse. It says, uh, but God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, um, putting 70 of them, or it could actually be 50,000 of them, uh, to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people moaned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. Now, I thought God is mercy. God is love. God is forgiving. And he doesn't want to kill people. He doesn't. But anytime you, in order to get to the law, they, they looked in the law, they looked in the Ark of Covenant, and they looked in the Ark of the Covenant, and, and in order for them to see the law, what was in the contents of the Ark, they had to push away the mercy seat, revealing only law. And there was sin, law, sin, death, and 70 or, or 50,000 men died because there was no covering for the sin that was there. Oh, I pray you hear what's being said. 
And so the Lord demonstrates his mercy and grace again in John the 8th chapter. Here is God now walking in the flesh, dwelling among men. He is now being afforded an opportunity. Here is now sin and here is law. But who is the mediator? God himself. God himself is now the mediator in the form of Jesus Christ. What does he do? They come to him and say, here's the law. This is what the law says. Here's sin. We proved it to you. Here's what the law says. We've shown it to you. The wages of this is death. She ought to be stoned. Now, what do you say, Jesus? Now, what do you say, God? Here is sin. Here's the law. There should be death. What do you say? What does he do? He begins to get on his ground on the ground and writes with his finger once again. Boom. Oh, that's powerful. He writes and they continue to press him. He, they continue to press him. I wonder what he's writing on the ground. He's probably writing a new law, the law of grace. Right on there. He's writing grace. He's writing mercy. And he stands up after they press him and press him and press him. And he says to them, uh, in verse number seven, he that is without sin among you, let him cast, let him first cast a stone at her. In effect, what he's saying is, and other translations say it this way, in effect, what he's saying is, yeah, go ahead, stoner. But he said, here, here's one thing before you do that. The first one of you, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. You see what happening, what's happening here is the ones that wanted to do it couldn't do it. And the one Jesus who could do it didn't want to do it. I uh, pray you got that. He's now standing as mediator, standing between judgment, hallelujah, and offering mercy. Oh, that's wonderful. She should have been stoned that day, but because of the mediator, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, the lamb of God, he stood in the way of judgment in the public view of everybody and extended mercy. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. And so he said that in verse eight, he said, and again, he stood, rather he stooped down and wrote on the ground. This makes the second time that he actually wrote on the ground with his finger. How many times did God write the 10 commandments twice? Oh, I pray you're hearing me. He writes on the ground once again. In verse number nine, it says, and they which heard it uh, being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. There's your picture. All your accusers can't stand in the presence of a holy God. They can't stand. They may talk about you, criticize you, ostracize you, say that you're not a Christian, you're not of God, you're not this and that. But in the end, after the Lord speaks, there's only one standing, only two, that's you and the Lord. Hallelujah. And he extends mercy and grace. Well, let's see what, what happens further. In verse number nine, it says, and, and okay, and they which heard it, uh, were convicted, of course, and they began to walk away. 
And nobody's left but the Lord Jesus and the woman also standing in the midst. In verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man accused thee. And she said, I'm, and she said, I'm sure with relief, no man. No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And we want to close on this point here. Look at the power of God. Look how he turns everything around. Beforehand, the people were afraid. And they didn't want a relationship with him. So he comes down himself and walks among us in flesh. So that he could wrap his arms around us and talk to us personally. Oh, I pray you got to hear that. His love was so great to us. He didn't want there to be space or distance. So he came down himself and walked among us. Now look at what the Lord says. Now everything is written. Scripture is written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is every word in place the way, just the way the Father wants it. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He says, I don't condemn you. Now, don't sin anymore. Here's how it's been flipped over the ages. Here's how religion flips things. Religion says, don't sin and you won't be condemned. Don't sin and we won't condemn you. Jesus says, I won't condemn you, so don't sin. <laughs> I'm going to have to run on that. He says, now there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Being in an environment where nobody's condemning you, nobody's pointing, God's not pointing at you, God's not yelling at you, he's not screaming at you. This gives you power to overcome sin. But we think, the church has thought for the years, I better do my best not to sin, then God won't condemn me. When that is not what the Bible teaches. That's what religion teaches. But that's not a teaching of Jesus Christ. The Father wants to empower his church. And this is how we're going to be that church that is without spot or wrinkle. Not by observing religious do's or don'ts, but having a growing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus um, rebuked the church in the uh, Revelation, I believe the church of Laodicea. And he rebuked them because they, they had done a lot of good works. And he said it was good works. But one thing that they did, they left their first love. And in order to leave your first love, who is Christ, that means you'll have to put something else in front of him. Most of us would agree that when we first gave our lives to the Lord Jesus, oh, we prayed all the time. You couldn't keep, couldn't keep us from church. You couldn't keep us. We were there worshiping, praising God. I mean, we, we were just all over the place. We loved the Lord. We were on fire for him, on fire for him, on fire for him. But something put the fire out. And now we call it, well, I'm more mature now. No, Jesus said, you left your first love. It's kind of the same thing as in marriage. When you're first together, it seems as though everything is lovely, everything is wonderful. Uh, you get married and, and uh, you know, and, and some older couples later on down the years, they, 
they, you know, this, all the fire is going out. And then they're looking at the younger couple who's all in love and saying, hmm, they just don't know. They just a little bit longer. They said, the young couple, it don't take all that. It don't take all that. It don't take all that. But it is, it is all that that keeps the passion in a marriage that helps it go on. Hallelujah. But when we divorce it and say, well, that's the norm. You know, you're a newborn Christian. You know, y'all, oh, y'all just fresh in love. So it's expected. But, you know, it don't happen over here. Yes, it does happen over here. Hallelujah. And I can say even right now in my closing. And my wife and I, is in our, we're in our 18th year of marriage, and I love that woman now more than I ever have. Praise the Lord. I love spending time with her, and she's my best friend. Amen? But that comes time that we've had to uh, grow in our relationship. We had to put time in our relationship. We had to communicate in our relationship. Hallelujah. It's the same thing with the Lord. If there's no talking, if there's no communication, if we no longer adore him, if we can't stand in his presence, if we don't commune like we did in the first, something is wrong. And that means that something else has been put in that place. What have we put in place of our first love? The one who loved you so much that he dared to wrap himself up in flesh just to hold you. He loves you. Jesus really does love you. He loves you with a burning hot love. And I pray today that you will receive his love. Well, those of you that are here tonight and those of you that are listening by way of CD, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we're going to say this short prayer together. And I pray that if you pray this prayer sincerely, the Lord will hear you. And he will answer you. So if everybody here, would you, would you stand with us at this time? And we're going to invite our Savior in our hearts. Because he loves us. And he is not here to condemn us. He's not here to embarrass us. He loves you. He loves you. And he does not want distance to be between you. So... Would you repeat with me? Would you pray with me? And just say, Father, I come to you admitting that I have done wrong. I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory. But I've heard that you're a loving God and that you will forgive me. So now I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I confess Jesus as my master, my Lord, and as my Savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Live in me. I accept you. And I thank you for accepting me. Now fill me with your precious spirit. I thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org.